encourage you to bring your Bibles in. They make special pens and um, they make special markers that won't bleed through the thin parchment of your Bible. And that's what I use. And I'd encourage you to make notes so that you can go back and refer to uh, some of these points that you're going to learn. Some of the meanings of these words that I teach you. I want to encourage you to, to make the Bible centermost in your life. Let's pray and ask the Lord to go ahead of us and open up our ears and our eyes to what he would have us to, to hear this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you deeply for your word. Believing that it is the power of God, Lord, to keep us saved and to make us saved. And Lord, to keep us saved means to endure in our salvation to the end. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we have the faith and the belief and your word teaches that in Ephesians, you seal us until the end comes. There is a, uh, a long-lasting quality to a saved person's life, and we thank you for that. Lord, save us this morning from ourselves and from the influences of this world. And Lord, I pray for the power of your word to be at work in us, and in Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, we saw from James chapter 5 that he uses a word patience, and in that passage... Patience meant something different than what he used in chapter 1. Chapter 1, when Paul preached, or, uh, or James rather, spoke on patience, if you remember a long time ago when I taught you this, that word patience means enduring or persevering underneath a trial and not looking for a quick escape. That's what we do, isn't it? When we struggle, when we suffer, when we go through difficulty, we're always trying to look for the escape hatch. And so James teaches that the persevering, patient believer endures under a trial without looking for the shortcut through it, trusting that God will bring us out of it when it's done. The trial has done its work. So you might be in a trial today. You might be going through a difficult circumstance. And you may need to sit under that until God says it's time to bring you through. And when he does, he will bring you through with a refined, more mature faith. You know, when I was a little boy, we had a pool. And I had three older brothers that were filled with the power of Satan. And they would push me underwater. And they would hold, my one brother in particular, would hold me underwater until I actually, the, my vision went black and pinpricks of light would come. Sometimes we have to endure, we have to stay under a trial until God says it's time to bring you out of it. But in this passage, we're going to see that the word patience, and we have seen, it doesn't mean enduring underneath a difficult circumstance. Ready? Listen, because this is what's going to make James 5 make sense for you. It is enduring under difficult people. There's a difference. Chapter 1, difficult circumstance. Now he's talking about difficult people. If you remember that James is writing to primarily poor Jewish farmers. And these farmers had had their lands taken away from them by these wealthy landowners. And guess what? These wealthy landowners are sitting in their churches. Except these wealthy landowners are now oppressing them, and these poor Jewish farmers are what are called day laborers. I talked to somebody yesterday and uh, who had some work done in their place of employment. And they went down and they found uh, about eight 
Mexican people to do their work. And she told me that about a 100 Mexican people are waiting for work. They congregate together and they're waiting for people to come get them to work for that day. And they get their wages that day. Day laboring still occurs in our area. And so these day laborers would get their money each day, but these wealthy landowners weren't paying them. It's harvest time. Their barns are filled with overflowing. They're taking the produce to the market. They're having lots of money coming in, but they're not paying their laborers. See, the oppression that these poor people are going through, they're underneath difficult people, and James is teaching them, how do you have patience to endure underneath these difficult people without resenting them? So patience is a self-restraint that refuses to try to get even when we are wronged. Now, some of you might have a difficult spouse. Some of you might have difficult parents or difficult children that are in rebellion right now. Or a difficult co-worker or boss or classmate or neighbor. Difficult people are all around us and they mistreat and sometimes oppress us. And James is teaching us, the people of God, to have patience uh, to not get even when wronged and to not fight back when hurt. And so he's given us six disciplines. And if you remember, two weeks ago, we hit the first three. Here's what they were briefly. First one was keep your eyes to where? You're cheating. (laughs) I forgot that was up there. This world can be captivating, can it? It takes our vision and plants it on what this world promises to offer us. It tries to steal our focus. But you and I, you and me, we're new creatures in Christ. If you are in faith, you're a new creature in Christ. You've been given new desires, new dreams that this world just cannot satisfy. So James says, if you want to develop patience... With difficult people, keep your eyes to the skies, yearn and look for the return of Christ. And if we do that, the scripture says it will motivate us toward godly living. But he also said, in addition to keep your eyes to the skies, keep your ear to the door. You know, one of the worst presents we ever bought our children was two Christmases ago. It was a spy kit. Don't ever buy this, parents. It comes with this little uh, satellite dish suction mounted thing that could go to a door and somehow hear what's happening in the room. And so Denise and I, we had to go to Burger King to have a confidential uh, conversation. It couldn't happen in our home anymore because my kids would have this thing to the door listening to us. And so keep your ears to the door, James says, hey, look, be remembering this, that Jesus is right at the door. Right in the midst of your oppression, the judge is at the door and he's ready to come in, not to your bedroom, not to your home, but into his courtroom, into his judgment hall. And when he comes into this judgment hall, he's going to come up onto his throne and all of those wicked, all of those unbelievers who oppressed you, they will have their day of judgment. Romans says, don't take revenge for I am a God of vengeance. I will avenge you. The judge is at the door. But Christians, listen. Not only is the judge at the door will judge the unbeliever, the judge is at the door and our hearts will be examined. And those times when that person pulls out in front of you on that road and you get on that bumper and you do uh, things that you normally wouldn't do, 
that will be revealed in the day of Christ's judgment for the believers. And the things done for his glory as we patiently endure difficult people will be gold and they will endure. But the things we do out of our flesh for our own glory, they're going to burn like wood, hay and stubble. These are the words of Christ. So not only keep your eyes to the skies and keep your ears to the door, but keep your feet on the well-marked path. James says thousands. Look at the prophets that went before us. Thousands of saints have walked the path of suffering under difficult people. It's nothing new to our era. In fact, we have it probably much more easily than they did in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But thousands of people have walked this path. So keep your feet on that well-marked trail. It's marked. And friends, it's our turn to endure patiently under difficult people. This is what James is teaching. Now, listen, we're going to hit four, five and six this morning. And we're going to see in verse 11 how the three of them unfold. But let me retrain your eyes for just a moment. What we're looking at are six disciplines that James gives us that will enable us to endure difficult people and difficult circumstances. Number four, here we go. Keep your thoughts grounded in truth. Look what he says in verse 11, the first part. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. Now, I want you to be students of the word this morning. And I'm going to explain this. You're going to see that this is simple. It's not complicated. There's nothing complex about this. The whole word of God is simple. It is deep as you're ever going to see, but it is simple and understandable by the power of the spirit of God. James says this. Ready? As you know, did you know that that phrase is translated from one Greek word that means to look and behold? Now, look and behold is a word or that Greek word was a word that served to call our attention. Now, listen, call our attention. Now, if I if you all of a sudden heard a phone go off, which is prone to happening in our church over in this corner. At least half of you are going to be looking over there because it grabs your attention. James says that this word, as you know, calls our attention to something, listen, external and outside of ourselves. Now listen, when you stub your toe and you either break or sprain it, do you not afterwards walk around your house with your eye keenly on anything on the floor so that you don't re-injure that toe? This is what James is saying is that when we suffer, our eyes focus inwardly on the sufferer, ourselves. And we don't like going through difficulty. We don't like having to experience this. God, why? Why did you put that person in my life? Why don't you change this situation? And James says, as you know, look and behold, get your eyes off yourselves for a moment, suffering, oppressed, the Jews of the church and at Cornerstone Evangelical Free Church. He says, look away from yourselves and, and, and off your suffering and look to the one who has blessed you even in the midst of suffering. This is nothing new. James has already taught them. Look, at, just flip back two pages, if you would, in your Bible to James chapter one, verse twelve. This is an underlining worthy verse. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. 
See, understanding this truth, objectively looking off of our suffering, getting our eyes off of the self-pitying, which we are all, me included, prone to doing, and getting back to the God who blesses us, getting our eyes there and keeping our thoughts grounded in truth perseveres us through difficult times and difficult people. But listen, there's more. Now, if you're like me, I can't stand reading something in Scripture when I can't ferret out the meaning. I don't know what the word means. i got to go study it. The word blessed. Do you really know what the word blessed means? We all use the word, but how many of us really poorly understand it? Some people say, God bless you when you sneeze. Don't ever say that around Pastor Tim Van Summer, and he cannot stand that. But God bless you as you walk in your journey. God bless you as you take that car drive. What does the word blessed really mean? I'm going to explain it to you. You see, in Judaism, people faithful to God, listen to that, people faithful to God were called blessed. I've had people ask me to pray for God's blessings in their life right after they told me that there's a sin in their lives that they have not yet repented of. And my answer is always, why is God going to bless you when you persist in your sin? In Judaism, they saw God blessing the people who were faithful to him. And the prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, Isaiah, all those prophets, and the wisdom literature, Proverbs and Psalms, the blessed are those who had the wisdom to see that through difficulty, God forges character. So listen, here's what blessing, so far, there's more to it, but so far, here's what we know about the word blessing, that it, God blesses his people as they are faithfully walking with him, and that when God blesses us, He it's the blessings are seen through the difficulty that God's hand is shaping us, and he's refining us. He's maturing our faith and our character. Now, here's what blessing means. I'm going to zero in. I'm focusing in even more on the definition. It is, it is being blessed or being blessed rather is having or sensing God's approval and acceptance. So listen, this is so beautiful. If you are a blessed person or if you ask me to pray that God blesses you, which I am happy to do. What I'm going to be praying for and what you can expect to experience is not that you win the lottery. It's not that you have no health in your family, no disease in your family, and that you have only health. Not that your car that's not running well will magically run better. I'll pray for all that, not the lottery. I'll pray for the other ones. <laughs> that is even beyond God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. God can do anything. He doesn't want to. Now here's, <laughs> that's even worse. I'm going to be praying that you, if I'm praying for your blessing, I'm going to pray that you sense and accept that God approves of your life. That God approves of who you are. That's what it means to be blessed. Blessed is the gracious and saving effect of God's favor. Here's what it means. This is so beautiful and it's so simple. For us to be blessed by God, it means that God's favor is on us. It means that God accepts us. It means that God approves of us. But it's only enjoyed, that don't get everything else and not get this, 
The blessings of God are only enjoyed when there is a corresponding behavior toward God. So in other words, if I want God's approval and God's acceptance of me, which is only found underlying bold and italics through Christ, the only way I'm going to sense his favor for me, the only way I'm going to walk in the confidence of his approval and his acceptance is if I am walking faithfully with him. Now you're starting to understand what James means in verse 11 when he says, as you know, we consider blessed. Who? Those who are persevering. Or those who have persevered. You see, the Greek tense for persevered, and I don't know why the NIV translated it like it does. It translates it, we consider blessed those who have persevered. It really is a continuous, repeated action. That's a Greek tense. And so what it really means is those who are enduring, those who are persevering underneath difficult people will sense God's approval and favor and empower you to walk in the confidence of Christ. That's what he's meaning. God's favor is given to the one who is persevering through suffering. Blessed is James writing, blessed is the man who stays under difficult people and waits for God's deliverance. Blessed are you, you will receive and are receiving the favor and approval of God. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 5, notice the tense. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Does he say blessed will be? He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because trials move us to develop perseverance. Now get this, ready? Here's the chain of thought in James's mind. He, trials move us to develop perseverance. You know, when I first got on that, um, that exercise bike, about 10, when I first started riding mountain bike about 10 years ago, I could not even pedal continuously. My legs would hurt so badly. But the more you ride, the more you pedal, you develop perseverance and endurance. And when you develop endurance, it's only through enduring that your lungs get stronger, that your body gets healthier. James is saying, if you want a mature faith, if you want a faith that's alive and steeped on the word of God, then you've got to learn to endure because it's through persevering and enduring that our faith enlarges. That's what James is teaching. And by the way, he's taught this from chapters one through five. But he goes on, remember, he's giving us disciplines to be able to develop patience. Number five, keep the old stories alive. Look at the second part of verse 11, if you would. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. Friends, let me ask you, would you look up here for just a moment? Just interact with us. Be honest. How well do you really know your Bible? Are you very familiar with men and women who have lived out their faith in God's word? James writes in effect in this verse, you do remember Job, don't you, to these poor and impoverished Christians. How ironic, because the story of Job was one of the most popular stories in Jewish history. He was a hero of the Jewish faith. 
Job is, at first glance, an odd choice for James to bring up here. How many of you have heard the phrase, the patience of Job? Do you realize that Job was anything but patient? Did you know that he passionately resented? Read the story. He passionately resented what happened to him. He passionately and sometimes derogatorily questioned his so-called friends. He agonized over the thought that God might have forsaken him. He questioned God. He railed, railed against his accusers. Yet through all this, listen, through all of this, Job's faith endured. He was hardly patient, but he was persevering. His was a faith that was tortured by questions, yet came out of suffering stronger than it was going in. You remember Job, right? Job who lost all of his children to death, just like that, whose wife stayed alive only to get him to try to curse God and die, who was a wealthy man but lost all of his belongings, just like that. And then Satan turned to Job's body and gave him rashes and boils and diseases. And throughout all of this, Job persevered in his faith. What's this word persevere mean? It doesn't mean patience with difficult people. That's what we looked at earlier. It means patience in difficult circumstances. Perseverance is this, and you can write it down in your outline. Here's a definition of it according to the NIV application Bible commentary. Here it is. Patience stretched out. You get the meaning of that? A rubber band stretched out, living in tension. That's what perseverance is. Not that your trial has gone away, but you live in the tension, but you allow it and you stay under it till God delivers you from it. You know, one of the best pictures that I've seen years ago was this one that you see behind me. It spoke to me, even though it's funny. But there's that stork or that heron trying to swallow that frog and that frog. The caption of this picture, by the way, is never, ever give up. It's That's what the lions ought to be doing. Get the, rid of the lioness signia. Get this thing up on the helmets. That was good. You're going to hate me so bad. <laughs> How to come to... <laughs> Come to Cornerstone and have your self-esteem crushed by the pastor. This is Frog that's not letting that thing swallow him. Now get rid of that picture because nobody ever listens to me with that thing up there. If you would, please, Renee. (laughs) Job clawed. Job scratched. Job clung grimly to a faith that endured through unimaginable suffering. Friends, listen, there's going to be times for each of us where we think God has forgotten us. How many, honestly... Show me your hands if you would, and I, my hands up first. How many of you have gone through a time in your life where you really thought, God, have you forgotten me? You've left me in this trial. This is where Job was. There are times where the persevering Christian has to reach out and grab the hand of God more firmly in faith. And we say with Job, listen to this, chapter 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. Job is probably the earliest written book in all of Scripture. And yet he knew his Redeemer lived and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. He kept his eyes to the skies. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another how my heart yearns within me. You know what happened to Job? The Lord restored Job so that in the end, 
It says the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first, and so he died old and full of years. Friends, persevere. Persevere through difficult times and through difficult people. Keep the old stories alive. But there's one more discipline that James gives if we're going to develop the patience that the Spirit of God produces. Here it is. Keep your life centered on God's goodness. Keep your life centered on God's goodness. You know, I have really enjoyed getting to know James. He had a pastor's heart. James knew personally about patience with difficult people. He knew personally perseverance through difficult circumstances. By the way, you do realize, right, that James was the pastor at the Church of Jerusalem. This is the hub church of which all the churches flinging around around the globe were starting. It was all coming out of this Jerusalem church. James pastored this church, not for five years, not for 10, 15, 20, or 25. He pastored this church for 30 years. Did you know that he was called James the Just? He gained that nickname because he never touched wine, he never touched strong drink, he never cut his hair, he never ate meat. And if you looked, if you were looking for James and you couldn't find James, you know where you'd find him without fail? In the temple facing the Holy of Holies on his knees praying. In fact, they said of James that he had knees like a camel because he prayed on them so much that they calcified. I love James. Tradition tells us that his influence over the Jews was so great. Now get this, that the scribes and the Pharisees came to him and they said, James, we want you to go up on top of the temple. And we're going to bring all the people of Jerusalem down below you on the pavement below. And we want you to go up there. We want you to tell the people why they should not forsake Judaism to go the way of Christ. And you know what? James went up and he was up on that pinnacle of this of the temple and with a loud voice with all the people below him, he declared the way of salvation to be found in Jesus Christ alone. The scribes and the Pharisees, they cried out, they cried out to all the crowd, even the just has gone astray. And they went up there and they had their guards take James and throw him off the temple where he plummeted to the pavement below. Tradition says that the fall didn't kill him and that he somehow managed to climb back to his knees where he lived most of his life. And he began to pray this prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And one of them, they, in fact, several of them started to pick up stones and they began to stone him one after another while one of the, the Pharisees said, stop, he's praying for us. Where somebody in the crowd grabbed a fuller's club, which was used to beat laundry, and went over there and smashed them over the head and killed them. James knew what he was talking about. He knows how to be patient in difficult people, how to be patient in difficult times. He must have been an incredible pastor. Some of you might be thinking, but all the guy does is crack the whip. But look at his heart in verse 11. Here's the last part of verse 11. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. 
See, James wants them to truly understand the heart of the God that beats for them. He wants them to understand that Christ sees their hardship. He knows that they're suffering through evil treatment. He knows that they're trying to endure evil times. Not only is God aware, he says, it says here he's filled with compassion for them. Here's what it says. The Lord is partly full. The Lord is getting more full every day. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What's that mean? What's that mean that God is full of compassion? Did you know that word compassion? It's strange to us, but I'm going to explain what it means. It literally means many bowled. You see, the bowels were thought to be the seat of the emotions. The bowels were the stomach. You want to get to the very center of a man's or a woman's feelings, you go to the bowels. And so for God to be many bowled means that he has an enormous capacity for compassion. Which is why Isaiah 49 writes, can a man, can a mother rather, forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you, God says. See, I have engraved you. This is called proleptic faith. It moves forward to the crucifixion on the palms of my hands. God has an enormous capacity for compassion. But not only that, James says God is full of mercy. He's full of mercy. You know, I love to rough house with my kids. Even little Andrew, I just throw him on that bed. He just giggles and comes back for more. But you know what? When my kids get hurt, there's something that comes out of me like it does out of you that wants to just tenderly cradle them and take their pain away. You know, this last week I was up in New York and I was on a study leave trying to prepare for some further future stuff that I may be preaching. And I get a call from Denise on Wednesday night. I was coming back Friday. And Wednesday night, my little girl, Carissa, knowing, a little disobedient whelp that she is, knowing that her light was supposed to be off at bedtime, she loves to read. And hearing Denise come up just to check on the rooms, try to reach over her loft bed and yank the chain on the light of her ceiling fan. Except she reached too far. And she fell to the hardwood below and buckle fractured both arms. Don't even think about feeling bad for her. I told her not to do that. But you know what? When that happens, just like you just did, something erupts out of our hearts. I remember Matthew breaking both bones in his left wrist two years ago. And driving to the hospital, I knew he was in utter agony, trying not to hit bumps, sitting in the emergency room for four or five hours with him, wishing that I could do something to take away the pain. You know what that word mercy means? I want you to never forget this. God's mercy is God's movement of his love. Listen, that wants and seeks and works to relieve us of our suffering. You see, people, you know, they misunderstand what mercy and grace is. Grace is Getting from God what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Friends, they're really not very technical definitions. Grace is God's movement to take away our sin. And mercy is God's movement to take away the consequences of our sin. The suffering that comes about through my sin and your sin and living in a fallen world filled with sin. That's what God's mercy is. It's his movement to take away the suffering that we go through. 
See, his mercy doesn't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. It's his tender mercy that gives us a strength to endure till the end. Lamentations 3, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his mercies, his compassions never fail. See, God endures us through difficulty as we cling to him in patient, persevering faith. James says, keep your eyes on God's character. He is a good God. Let me sum up these six disciplines and then we're going to head into communion. Here's what we learn. Just because I'm summing up doesn't mean you shut your mind off, okay? Here's what we learn. Let us keep our eyes to the skies and learn to yearn for the Lord's return, knowing that the troubles of this life, though they're real and they're difficult, they're going to pass away to glory. And let us keep our ears to the door and know that God will judge the wicked. Those difficult people that hurt us so much in this life, God will deal with them. He leaves room for his wrath. It's our job to, to persevere, to be patient and not return resentment. And let us keep our feet to the well-marked path, knowing that thousands of saints have walked this path before. Friends, listen, it's this simple. It's our turn. It's our turn to be patient under difficult people. And let us keep our thoughts grounded in truth, not in our suffering. Move our, our thoughts, lo and behold, off of our suffering and onto the God who will bless us as we persevere. And let us keep the old stories alive. Friends, get in your word. Get in the Bible. These are real men and women that have suffered for the cause of Christ. Get in there, learn their stories, and let it hold you to the path of faith. And finally, let us most importantly keep ourselves centered on God's goodness. Friends, I'm going to tell you, without fail, the number one problem that I see in counseling for everyone who suffers, almost without exception, is that they are losing their faith in God's goodness. God is full of mercy. and God is full of compassion. And he will relieve us of our suffering when the time is right and our faith will be made better for it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For your word, thank you for emboldening our faith. Thank you for encouraging us. And Lord, as we go now to communion and we celebrate and observe the Lord's Supper, let us remember how good you are, how compassionate and how merciful you are, all focused on the person of Christ and that cross. Lord, let us not stray far from the cross and let us keep that centermost in our hearts and our minds. We thank you, Father. Give us strength to to be patient and to endure difficult times and difficult people for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.